Merry Christmas, everybody. Thank you. I appreciate you joining us today, whether you're doing that in person at one of our campuses or just connecting online. Either way, I am super glad that you're here. But before we get started uh, today, I just need to share with you just a brief public service announcement in case you were not aware. There are just four shopping days left until Christmas. Yeah, I know for those of you Martha Stewart type A folks, that's no big deal. You're ready. You bought all your gifts back before Thanksgiving. But for those of us who are kind of uh, last minute procrastinators, we're freaking out a little bit because four days means one, it's too late to shop online. It'll never get here in time. And two, four shopping days. If you think about the number of hours that you actually can shop, Four days really means we only have 48 hours left to get it done. So let me just check for a moment. Those of you watching online, if you still have some gifts to buy, would you just hit me with a thumbs up emoji in the chat? And for those of you that are in person at one of our campuses, if you still have some shopping to do, let me see your hands, get them up. Wow, Walmart is gonna be crowded Christmas Eve. But I'll see you there. We'll make it a party. It's going to be great. But listen, wherever you are in your Christmas preparation level, I'm just really thankful that you're spending a little bit of your very valuable time with us this weekend here at Cedar Creek. So if you'll check out your message notes, you'll see we are continuing in this series of messages we're calling Simply Christmas. And the goal of this series is to help all of us push past a lot of the hype and the hoopla of a Christmas celebration and really focus on the simple but powerful truth of Jesus' birth and how his birth can transform our daily lives. And you know, with all that we've been through this year, that all that we continue to go through, I don't think there's a better year, a Christmas 2020, than for us to step back in the midst of all the chaos and confusion, all the animosity, all of the fears, in the midst of all that, and just simply step back and notice this not magic baby born in a manger, but the God of the universe stepping into the messiness of our world and our lives. That's simply what Christmas is all about. Now, when it comes to simplifying Christmas, nobody is better at this than the Apostle John. The other gospel writers, Matthew and Luke, fill up pages and pages of details about Jesus' birth, but John cuts to the chase. He describes the birth of Jesus in two very simple but powerful sentences. Notice John chapter one. In the beginning was the word, And the word was with God, and the word was God. And then check it out. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And since John decided to describe Christmas as the word dwelling among us, we decided this year to dwell on some of the words of Christmas. Some of the words we hear a lot about this time of year. For example, we talked about hope. 
Hope is a big word at Christmas, but we discovered that the hope of Christmas is not wishful thinking for better circumstances in our life. The hope of Christmas is being able to trust that God is faithful to his promises no matter what circumstances we have in our life. Last week, we looked at the word joy. That's a big Christmas word. In fact, it's the number one Christmas word. But we discovered that the joy of Christmas is not a good feeling inside when things are going the way we want. That the joy of Christmas is a deep, settled confidence that comes from knowing that God is in control of the details of our lives. And now today, I want to look at another Christmas word, but you probably don't think of it as a Christmas word, and that is the word love. Most of us don't think of love at Christmas. I'm pretty sure none of you have the word love spelled out in your front yard with lights. I looked at all the Christmas cards we've gotten so far this year, there's about 25 of them at our house. Not one of those Christmas cards has the word love on it. In fact, if I were to ask you what is the holiday that celebrates love, you would not answer Christmas, you would answer what? Valentine's Day, right? But Christmas is the ultimate celebration of love. Not that flawed, conditional, romantic love that we celebrate in February, but that perfect, unconditional love that God has for every one of us. Again, notice what John says in his gospel. John 3, 16, pretty familiar verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. The birth of Jesus is the greatest expression of love ever. When you look into Bethlehem's manger, you don't see a magic baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. What you see is a tangible, living, breathing expression of how much God loves you. Christmas is as pure and as simple and as beautiful as the birth of a baby. And yet at the same time, it is as powerful and as life-changing as the God of the universe, not just wrapping himself in human flesh and entering our world, but entering as a baby. And not a baby born to a wealthy family in a palace, but a baby born to a family in abject poverty. Think about this. The very first breath that God took into his nostrils as flesh and blood, that very first breath he breathed in was filled with the stench of animals. That's how much God loves you. That's the lengths he's willing to go to connect and to rescue us. Christmas is all about love. And if Christmas is the ultimate celebration of love, then maybe the best way for us to celebrate Christmas is to share that love with others. Charles Dickens in his classic novel, A Christmas Story, it's the book about Ebenezer Scrooge. He ends that novel with these final words. He says, it is said of Ebenezer Scrooge from that day forward, that he was a man who kept Christmas well. 
And I believe if we really want to keep Christmas well, then we need to love well the people around us. And here's the good news. We don't have to guess at how to do this. Because while the birth of Jesus was an expression of God's love to us, the life of Jesus is an example of how we can love others. And that's what I want to do today. I want to look at a very brief and obscure encounter Jesus has with a woman who is crippled. And from this brief encounter, we can see some practical ways that we can love others well. This encounter takes place in the 13th chapter of Luke's gospel. In fact, that is the only place that is, it is recorded. Unlike of a lot of the encounters in Jesus' life that are recorded in multiple gospels, this one only appears in Luke's gospel. That's probably why many of you maybe have never even heard this story before. It's certainly not a story that any of us would put in the top 10 list of Jesus' stories. But when you really look at it, it's a simple and powerful example of how to love others well. Now, let me just give you the story very quickly. Jesus is teaching one day in a synagogue in a village on the Sabbath. The Bible does not tell us what village it is, where it is. The Bible doesn't even tell us when this took place, whether it was at the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry or at the end or somewhere in the middle. It just says Jesus was teaching on Sabbath in a synagogue. And then the middle of his sermon, he notices a woman sitting in the back who is crippled. Only she's not crippled in her legs where she can't walk. She's crippled in her back. And the Bible says she has been bent double for 18 years. Imagine that. 18 years of never being able to look anybody in the eye. 18 years of never being able to look up and marvel at the night sky. 18 years of walking through life, only being able to see the mud and dirt and the filthy feet of the people around you. The Bible says that when Jesus sees her, he calls her forward and she comes down to the front. Now look, he stopped his sermon and he's called her forward. And when he comes down, when she comes down, he says to her, woman, you are unbound from your iniquity. And then he touches her. And the Bible says immediately she stands up straight and the crowd goes wild. People are like, oh, this is awesome. That Jesus is great. He healed her. We got to be here. We saw it. But the leader of the synagogue, the, the rabbi said, whoa, 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 Mr. Jesus. We don't roll like that in this synagogue. We, we don't heal people on the Sabbath. There are six days a week when people can come here and get healing, but not on the Sabbath. And Jesus is like, are you freaking kidding me? Really? You hypocrite. This morning before you came to church, Mr. Rabbi, you untied your donkey so your donkey could get a drink of water, and you don't want this daughter of Abraham to be unbound from her affliction. Man, come at me, bro. I ain't fixing to deal with people like you. Jesus didn't say that. That's kind of what I added there. Jesus was probably not invited back to be the guest speaker at that synagogue. In fact, that's probably why most of the time you see Jesus teaching outside on lake shores and on mountainsides. But as we walk through this brief encounter, what? Minute and a half, two minutes of an encounter, 
we see three truths about loving others well. You may want to write these down. Number one, to love others well, I have to take the time to notice others. Take the time to notice others. Isn't it interesting that the people who need love the most are often the easiest to overlook? Certainly was with this woman. Notice verses 10 and 11. It says, one Sabbath day as Jesus was teaching in the synagogue, he saw a woman who had been crippled by an evil spirit. She had been bent double for 18 years and was unable to stand up straight. Three things I want you to notice. In fact, I want you to circle them. Circle the word teaching, Jesus was teaching. Circle the word woman, he saw a woman. And circle the phrase unable to stand up. If ever there was a person that could have been overlooked, it's this woman, right? First of all, Jesus is teaching. He's doing something important. He is busy with an important task. I don't know if you've ever done any public speaking in front of a large crowd, but it is mentally consuming. When I'm standing up here teaching most Sundays, I'm 100% focused on what I'm saying or what I'm about to say next, that you guys just become a blur. I don't even see you, you're like a blur out there. Now, I know some of you are thinking, man, all those Sundays I tried hard to stay awake and he didn't even see me. I see sleepers and yawners, just so you know. So Jesus is busy doing something important. Secondly, it says she was a woman. In that culture, women were allowed to come in the synagogue, but they weren't allowed to sit with the men. Most of the time, the men sat out front, up front and the women were relegated to the back or the back corner. So she's in the back of the crowd. And then she's bent over double. It's not like she's jumping up and down in the back going, hey, notice me, see me. She's bent though. I'm telling you, the fact that Jesus noticed her is almost as big a miracle as the fact that he healed her. But you know, if you really look at Jesus' life, this is not unusual for Jesus to see people that others overlook. He saw wee Zacchaeus in a tree. He noticed the woman who touched the hem of his garment when he was crowded by thousands. Jesus has a knack for noticing people that are easy to overlook. Why? Because that's what love does. That's what love does. And here's why this is so important. Because noticing people is one of the best expressions of love. To look people in the eye, to give them our attention meets one of the deepest needs in our lives. Study after study of infants has demonstrated the importance of face-to-face -face contact with a mother or a father or another caring adult. Not just basic needs like food and clothing and even being held. Infants require face-to-face -face interaction with a mom or a dad. It's what psychologists call attunement. That face-to-face -face connection attunes them to the fact that they are connected to others. They are a part of something. They're not by themselves. That's why so many of the children who grow up in overcrowded orphanages in Russia or in Asia struggle with attachment disorder 
Because while they've had their physical needs met, they've been, had their diapers changed and been fed, they haven't had that attunement, that face-to-face connection. But listen, that doesn't go away when we become adults. We all need someone to notice us. Some of you walked in here today feeling bent over by life. You feel like you're hiding in the back and God doesn't see you. God doesn't notice what you're going through or if he does, he doesn't care and you feel alone and isolated and detached. And I'm telling you, if you are feeling that way today, I am convinced that God brought you here specifically to say to you that the good news of Christmas is not just God is with us. The good news of Christmas is that God notices us. He sees what you're going through. He looks you in the face. Reminds me of that great Old Testament proverb or a promise in the book of Numbers. We often use it as a blessing or a benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his what? Face shine upon you. Do you see that imagery there of God turning his face towards you, seeing what you're going through? It reminds me of that great worship song we sing about God's love. There's no shadow you won't light up, no mountain you won't climb up coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down. There's no lie you won't tear down coming after me. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're feeling today, but I know God sees your pain and he cares. And so if we need that from God, don't you think the hurting people around us need that as well? You know, we talk all the time here at Cedar Creek about being the hands and feet of Jesus, but we cannot forget to be the face of Jesus, to notice the hurting people around us. You want to celebrate Christmas well? Then slow down and notice the people that everyone else overlooks. That's how you love well. But it doesn't stop with noticing it. There's a second thing we have to do, and that's we have to be willing to risk reaching out. We have to be willing to risk reaching out. It's not just noticing them. It's being willing to take the risk to do something about what they're going through. And that's what Jesus does. Notice verse 12 and 13. It says, when Jesus saw her, when he noticed her, he called her forward. And he said to her, woman, you are set free from your infirmity. And then he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Do do you see the action? Do you see Jesus doing something, not just noticing it? It's easy for us to read this through the lens of our culture and miss how big a risk this was. Risky for Jesus and risky for her. For Jesus, this was risky. He broke protocol at a synagogue that he was invited to be the guest speaker of. And I know it's easy. We read this and think, well, the, you know, the leader of the synagogue was just a jerk, a, a hypocrite, and maybe he was. But you need to understand, in first century Jewish worship, the order of the service was of paramount importance. 
when things got done and how they got done was just as important as the content that was being shared. And yet Jesus always puts people over protocol. Jesus always puts relationships over rules. He took a risk. It was also risky for her. Imagine if I were to just call you forward right now, right? Yes, ma'am, you, yeah, in the back. Would you just come? See, some of you back there, they are freaking out, right? What a scary thing. And besides that, she doesn't know why Jesus is calling her down. She doesn't know if he's going to heal her. He may be calling her down to point her out as an example of what happens in life when you sin. Because in that culture, they believed that disease and illness was a result of sin in your life. I can't believe she came forward. In fact, the fact that she came forward tells me just how desperate she was. And I'm telling you, with this pandemic and with just life in general, there are more and more people in our community, in our schools, in our offices, in our neighborhoods who are raising their hand and saying, I'm desperate. I need help. The question is, will we risk reaching out? Will we do something about it? Will we just talk about love or will we truly love? Notice what the Bible says, Ephesians 4, 32. It says, be kind and loving to each other. Notice kind and loving are linked together. You can't be kind without loving, but also you can't be loving without being willing to be kind because love is not an emotion. Love is not a warm, fuzzy feeling. Love is a verb. It's action. It's doing something. It is getting involved even if getting involved is risky. C.S. Lewis, the great thinker and writer of the 20th century said, to love at all is to be vulnerable. To truly love requires being vulnerable. And isn't that what God did for us? The vulnerability of coming as a baby, helpless, in need of everything, unable to provide anything for himself. That's what love does. It gets vulnerable. It takes risk. I know some of you are saying, well, Philip, I've done that before. I've opened up my heart. I, I took a risk. I took a chance to let somebody in and they hurt me or they rejected me or they took advantage of me. And if that's you, I'm sorry for the pain they caused you. And I don't want to minimize it, but I would also beg you not allow the pain that person caused you to cause you to wall off your heart and to miss something amazing that God wants to do through your life. But it's not just true in in opening up our hearts for the people who are closest to us. We also have to open up our hearts and our lives to the strangers we pass on the street. I think often this time of year, because it seems like I see more and more of them around Christmas. You know who I'm talking about. The people who are standing on the street corners and on the intersections with the cardboard signs that say homeless or hungry or, or out of work. And what do we do? Most of us do one of two things. 
We either make sure we don't make eye contact and just keep moving or cross to the other side of the road, or we reach in our pockets and hand them a few bucks and walk on thinking that we've done something good. We're assuaging our guilt by that. But the truth of it, neither of those is risky and truly neither of those really help. Most of the time when you give money to people like that, you are just financing some of the choices and behaviors that got them in that place. The reason we don't get more involved and take the risk is not because you're a bunch of hard-hearted, uncaring people. Most of the time, it's because their needs are so overwhelming, we know we can't truly help. We think, you know, they're homeless. I can't build them a house. It wouldn't be safe to let a stranger move into me. I, I can't solve their financial problems. I can't provide a job for them. And we think, we can, if I was Jesus, I could heal them. I could fix it. But you're not Jesus, and so you don't do anything. But let me tell you, no matter what their need is, there are two things you can do for people to express love that Jesus did for this woman. One, you can bless them with your words. You can use your words. You can stop and make eye contact and speak words of hope and encouragement to them. That's what Jesus did with this woman, right? He spoke to her. First, he called her woman. We hear that, and that just sounds like a crass, dismissive thing. But in that culture, woman was one of the most tender terms you could give another person. It's what Jesus called his own mother, woman. And then when he's talking about her to the rabbi, he doesn't say that old crippled woman who's bent over. He literally calls her a daughter of Abraham. No greater compliment to a woman in Israel than to call her that. Do you see what Jesus did? He used his words to speak love and value over her. That's why the book of Proverbs says, the tongue has the power of life and death. No matter what somebody's going through, you can help them with your kind words. The second thing Jesus did for her that we can do for anybody and everybody is he touched her. He placed his hands on her. He did not have to do that to heal her. The Gospels are full of stories where Jesus healed people without touching them. In fact, he healed people that weren't, weren't within a mile of him. Why does he put his hands on her? I don't know for sure. The Bible doesn't say, but I'm pretty sure it's because Jesus knew bent over crippled old women don't get a lot of hugs. Most people thought that they had sin and if you touched them, they were unclean and you would get unclean. It'd probably been 18 years or more before anybody had lovingly put their hands on her. Jesus loved her with just a kind touch. You know, this year, I think all of us at some level have figured out or have experienced how isolating it is to not be able to handshake or hug, or kiss, or touch friends and family. But do you know, there are people who felt that way every day before the pandemic, and they will continue to feel that way long after this pandemic is gone. And one of the most powerful things we can do is just a kind touch. And I, I know it's, 
It's so frustrating. I'll tell you, for me, I'm a hugger, not because I'm some kind of creeper, but I just know every day I meet people that the only significant human touch they get might be when they come to our church or one of our campuses on Sunday morning. That's why before the pandemic, we did a holy commotion, you know, where we had everybody share a smile, a handshake, and a hug. And man, I cannot wait till that day returns and we can start doing that. But in the meantime, we can touch people with our eyes, with our smile, maybe safely pull down your mask and just share a smile with somebody who's hurting that you pass by this Christmas. Kind words and loving touches, they cost us nothing, but they mean everything to the bent over and broken people around us. If we're gonna love well this Christmas, we gotta notice those that are easy to overlook. We've got to risk reaching out. And number three, we have to make the most of every opportunity. Make the most of every opportunity. Jesus did not have to heal this woman in the middle of his sermon. He could have healed her after the service. He could have healed her the next day. He could have healed her the next week. Why did Jesus stop in the middle of his sermon and heal her? I don't know why, but I know what he said after he did it. Notice what Jesus says to the rabbi. This dear woman, the daughter of Abraham, has been held in bondage by Satan for 18 years. Isn't it right that she be released even on the Sabbath In other words, Jesus says she suffered long enough. He does not want her to have to wait another minute, let alone another day. You ever see people in need and think, I oughta, I oughta stop, I oughta help, I oughta call that person that I know is struggling, I oughta write that note, send that encouraging text, I oughta, I oughta. If we're going to love well, if we're going to love like Jesus, we got to turn our I oughtas into I ams. I think about the old Home Depot commercial. We got to turn our to-do list into to-done list. We need a carpe diem kind of faith where we not only seize every day, but we seize every moment to help others, not for our own benefit, but to risk it all, to live out the love that Jesus shows to us. I wanna close this morning with this last verse on your outline, because I think it's the heart of all that we're talking about. First John chapter three, John writes, my children, we should love people not only with words and talk, but by our actions and true caring. No better way to celebrate Christmas, no better way to experience Christmas than to love well the people around you because Christmas is all about love. Would you pray with me? Maybe you're here today and you can identify with this woman. Life has bent you double and you feel like nobody sees you and nobody knows and God has forgotten or he just doesn't care. If that's you, I am convinced God brought you here today, Christmas 2020, 
to say directly to you, I see you. I see what you're going through. I feel what you're feeling. You know, maybe God doesn't heal and solve your issues like he did for this woman. I don't know what he will or will not do in the midst of your pain, but I know he is with you. And because of that, you can find hope. Or maybe God is just waiting for you like this woman to take a risk to come forward, to reach back out to him, to come to him and begin a personal relationship, a daily journey connected with his spirit in you and his word in your life. Or maybe you're here today and you identify more with the people who are sitting up front in the synagogue. Your life's going pretty good right now, but you've been reminded that there are hurting people all around you. What are you going to do? What will be different this Christmas? Will you slow down? Will you notice? Will you take some risks to open up? Will you become a little more vulnerable and a little less calloused? And then would you step up and bless the people around you? Not by solving all their problems, but just by a kind touch and a kind word. I don't know what your next step is, but I know what God has called us to do, and that is to love well others. So Father, that is my prayer. It's my prayer for my own journey when I've been blinded by busyness or calloused by the pain of others. But I know that's true for these people that I love so much, our church family. Oh God, would we be known as a people who love well those the rest of the world has forgotten. In Jesus' name, amen.